on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Hello, and welcome to Authentic Living, sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. And I'm your host, Andrea Matthews. We've been exploring with some of the spiritual leaders of today what it means to wake up to the authentic self and to live authentically. This show intends to invite you, the listener, into your own authenticity through an understanding of what it is and how to get there. For that purpose today, we're having a conversation with David Ord on the topic of your forgotten self. David Ord is the editorial director of Namaste Publishing Company, the original publishers of Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now. Namaste's message is that there is an infinite presence at the heart of existence, which is the core of our own being. And David's work fully exemplifies that message. His first work was a CD audio book called Lessons in Loving, A Journey into the Heart, in which he uses the story of the little prince to invite the reader into the center of that inner presence and then illustrates how living in that presence transforms partnerships and other relationships. The second work and the topic of our conversation today is Your Forgotten Self, mirrored in the Jesus the Christ. David was born in the United Kingdom and from a very early age was fascinated with the character of Jesus in the Bible. His fascination took him to New Zealand and then to the United States where he graduated from the Graduate Theological Union in San Francisco. He has experienced four decades of speaking with more than 20 of those speaking about Jesus to more com- conventional con- congregations. But with his new book, he presents us with a new enlightened version of Jesus that breaks with traditional theological thought. David, welcome to Authentic Living. I'm so glad to have you participate in our ongoing discussion of the authentic self. It's nice to be with you today, Andrea. Thank you so much for joining us. David, you've asserted in your book, Your Forgotten Self, that we can have heaven right here on earth. What do you mean by this? You know, I was talking to someone this morning on the phone who was telling me her experience of she has moments when she feels a joy and a peace in life, especially when she's in touch with nature. But um, much of life, she feels an emptiness, a void, a hollowness, like something is missing. And I think that that is true of most human beings. Now, of course, what most people do is they run to a lot of activity um, to fill up that void. Um, They will play a lot of music to fill it up, Uh, all kinds of entertainment, conversations. And, of course, today the latest gadget that really gets us out of having to feel the void very much is our cell phones, which we have um, chattering on even when we're driving these days just because they're there. And I think that if we were to stop all of that and just become still, many of us would experience the sense of void, of emptiness, of something really missing, of a lack of fulfillment in our life. And it's that that Jesus' message of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, addresses. Because he talks about how people are living lives in which they are 
heavy burdened, heavy laden, he says. It's like a yoke of oxen, you know, when you put a yoke on the ox to plow the field. Um, it can be hard work or it can be easy work. And Jesus talks about how most people's lives are hard going. They are really burdened and finding life a struggle. And they're constantly running to try to escape all of the feelings that generates. And what he invites us into is the realization that within us there is a peace that the New Testament describes as a peace that passes all understanding. It's it's not the kind of thing you can think your way into. It's not the kind of thing that um, you get from entertainment or all of the things we do to run away from the uh, way we really feel. It's something that is there in all of us inherently. It's been there since our birth, and it never leaves us. The problem is we can't feel it. And what the kingdom of heaven is, is entering into the realm of consciousness in which the presence of God, which is the peace, which is our own center, is there continuously, and we never lose it. And with it comes the joy. The New Testament, again, speaks of a joy unspeakable. It's not occasioned by the fact that um, I just decided to get married, or I just bought a new car, or a new house, or I won the lottery, or got a promotion. It's got nothing to do with anything external. That's why it's a joy unspeakable. It's indescribable. It's just there. And it's so huge. It's so all-encompassing that once we enter into it, we're, we're amazed that we, we never knew this before. So as I look at my own life, I look back over years of feeling that void, being angry, being upset, and then beginning to enter into the peace and the joy and then flowing from that, the love that is the sense of connection to everything and everyone that's in my life. That's what Jesus says we can enter into now. Heaven, regardless of what may come after death, heaven is a present state. Um, in Ephesians, it talks in Ephesians 2 verse 3 and again, in, well, in Ephesians 1 verse 3 and Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 6. It talks about us being in the heavens now, that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies right now, that we have been raised up with Christ, not some future event only, but a reality now, raised up with Christ into the heavenlies now. So that's the kingdom of heaven, the rest that Jesus invited people into. So it's not at all based on circumstance or illness or problems? No, nothing of the kind. You know, there are people who are incredibly ill, who uh, they know this joy. Um, I was reading a book recently that someone had sent to me called um, Original Faith, of Paul Maurice Martin. I think it's only available through Amazon. But um, he has been smitten with some illness that is just about totally made him unable to move, from what I understand. You read his book, and you realize he's a man who lives in the joy of being. So it's unrelated to illness or wellness. Those things are all nice to have. They're wonderful to have. But they're not the cause of our joy. The joy comes from deep within. Okay. So, okay, let's go a little deeper now. You've asserted also in the book that Jesus knew that he had this inner being that you've spoken of, 
which can be equated with what he called the father or Abba, which you said means daddy. Right. Can you explain this relationship between the personality of Jesus and this inner nature called Christ? <clears throat> yes. And it may be a little shocking to some people at first, but the reality is that the Gospels and the Epistles in the New Testament tell us almost nothing about the man behind the scenes. If you read them at a surface level, they appear to be about someone's life. But when you start really paying attention to what they're saying, it becomes very evident that Jesus is an archetype. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't a real person who lived uh, that is behind all of this, but the story is not told in the genre of a, a biography or autobiography. It's not a life story. The name Jesus is a Greek transliteration of Yeshua or Joshua, we would say in English. And Joshua, of course, is the one who took Israel into the promised land. And um, Moses was the one assigned that task, but Moses didn't get them there. And it's a wonderful kind of picture of the way it is, because when we, when we try to live by rules and laws, such as the Ten Commandments and all the other laws that were given to Israel, and um, we feel like we're being good synagogue-going, church-going, temple-going people, whatever our particular faith may be, um, th that, that does not bring the fulfillment that is symbolized by the promised land. So Moses doesn't succeed in taking them into the promised land. He dies on the edge of it, and it is left to Joshua to take them into the promised land. So the Hebrew peoples had a uh, way of telling stories about things that were meaningful to them that were different from biography. What they, they used was a, um, an approach that is called midrash. They would take a, a great character out of their story, and then they would tell his story, and then they would tell a later person's story about it. So, for example, if we look at the defining moment in the creation story, it's when God splits the waters. God separates the waters, allowing dry land and so forth to appear. And then if we look at the great story of the, uh, the, the Exodus story, it's the splitting of the waters. Moses walks through with the people on dry land through the middle of the waters. So along comes the next great prophet after uh, Moses, and of course this is going to be Joshua. And Joshua splits the Jordan River. Then along comes Elijah. So Elijah has also got to do something like this. He splits the Jordan River. Then Elisha also comes along. He splits it too. So when we come to the story of the Gospels, the very first thing in the earliest Gospel to be written, which is the Gospel of Mark, is Jesus comes to the Jordan to be baptized. And he walks down into the waters of the Jordan. But the waters don't split, even though he has the name Joshua. What splits is the upper waters. Now, you have to remember that in that day and earth, they saw the earth as flat, and they saw a, kind of like a glass dome above it, which is called the firmament. And above that, it's blue. We speak today of the blue beyond. And, of course, they thought of that as water. They didn't know about space and galaxies and all of that kind of thing that we do today. So they thought there was a dome over the earth that kept out the upper waters. And if you remember in the flood story of Noah, it says the windows of heaven, that's the windows in the dome, were opened to allow the flood waters to pour down and so forth. So that was their worldview. So when Jesus walks down into the Jordan River, the 
person writing Mark's gospel in order to show that he is greater than Moses, greater than Joshua, greater than Elijah, greater than Elisha, he has him split the upper waters so that directly out of heaven, God personally speaks down and says, this is my beloved son, hear him. Now, the Gospels are composed of stories like that throughout. If you read them at a surface level, you won't notice it. But if you really know the Old Testament and other extra-canonical Jewish literature, you read the Gospels and you begin to realize, oh my, they're not a story about someone's life. They're all about meaning. They're about what our lives mean. And Jesus, or Joshua, is the archetype of who we really are. So here we have in the stories sort of the embodiment of what the Christ nature is. Now, the Christ simply means the anointed one. And if you look back at Israel's history, Israel always longed for a king who would make them free and who would be a just and righteous king. And along came king after king who wasn't, with the occasional exception. And then eventually they were taken captive by the Babylonians um, in the 500s BCE. And after the captivity, uh, they again hoped for some kind of salvation in the form of a just ruler who would um, make things right in Israel. It never happened. And so they began to think of the promised anointed one, the king who would deliver them in a very different way. And by the time of the book of Daniel, we're getting to a time when they are thinking of uh, one called the son of man, it says, or we might say in more modern language, the son of humanity. That is something that is birthed out of the existing humanity, but that is of a different character. And um, that becomes what Jesus embodies. We'll we'll pick this up after the break, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much. That's a real clear explanation. This is Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews, and you've been listening to a conversation with David Ord on the topic of your forgotten self. And we'll be back in just a moment to talk some more. Your online community for positive change. Seventh Wave Network. Have you heard of resonance repatterning? Your life energy forms vibrating patterns you resonate with that affect the quality of your life. Phone in for a mini session with Chloe and experience for yourself how the vibrating patterns you're in tune with are shifted. Many people can feel the change immediately. Join Chloe Faith Wordsworth every Wednesday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific for Living in Tune. Turn your problems into joy. You may even feel your energy improve right along with the caller. Living in Tune. Turn your problems into joy is heard each week on the 7th Wave Network. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T, with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. 
That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh, There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Okay, we're back with Authentic Living. I'm Andrea Matthews, your host, and we're continuing our conversation with David Ord on the topic of your forgotten self. David, before the break, you were explaining to us how, what the relationship of Jesus uh, was, the personality of Jesus was to his inner nature. So what they did is, Andrea, they they took, when they encountered this, this man who was able to live in the full conscious presence of the divine, so that he expressed who God is in a human form. It so shocked them, it so changed their lives, that there was a whole other reality they had never experienced before. And the authors of the New Testament think to themselves, how can we say this to our people? Well, the Gospels, the first four Gospels to be written, um, are very much about Jewish people, even when they're written uh, to Gentiles. And they're explaining from a Jewish point of view. And so they use this, this story form called Midrash, where you take the great heroes of the past and you tell the story about the person you want to describe now in terms of those people back then. So Joshua, you see, is what the name Jesus means. Yeshua, Joshua is who we're talking about. So the entirety of the Gospels is all about what Joshua was about, which was getting the people into the Promised Land. And if you look at the story, it's a story that begins in Galilee and runs all the way to the time of the Passover. And that's what liberates people to enter into the Promised Land. So it's that ancient Exodus story, Promised Land story, retold uh, about um, Joshua, uh, in the terms of Joshua, uh, about whoever this person was that we think of as, as being the historical Jesus. So the Christ nature is a reality in all of us. Um, We are 
created in the divine image and likeness, in the image and likeness of God. That is a long-standing Judeo-Christian belief. And it happens to parallel the Eastern view that the divine is uh, incarnate in human beings as well. So that Christ nature that is the divine image in all of us is something we become unaware of as we grow up. We, we lose sight of it. And it's this that the imagery in the Gospels of Jesus or Joshua wakes us up to so that we can awaken to the promised land within us. It's not an external promised land. Israel had been looking for a king to bring about that promised land of rest for so many centuries. It never happened. They were taken captive. When they came out of the captivity, there was still not a just king. So Finally, they began to think of this community of people, which in the book of Daniel they call uh, the Son of Man, or we might say the new human being, the, the son that is born out of the old, uh, of, of humanity, because it's not actually male, it's a it's, um, collective term. So this new humanity is what is epitomized by Jesus. He calls himself that. And he, he likens it to a community of people. In, in Ephesians, the second chapter, Paul says that God is creating of all nations, Gentile and Jew, one new human being. That's the Son of Man. That's the Christ reality. It is the one and the many. It is the, the Son of God. Now, it's a very interesting thing that lately, Oprah, you know, has been um, um, interviewing a great deal, Eckhart Tolle, on, uh, on the um, web program that she has put together about his book, A New Earth. And she has come in for a lot of criticism on various websites because she says there are many ways to God. Well, there is a tremendous truth in the fact there are many ways to God, and there is also a truth in what the Christians are pointing out when they say, but it says God has only one son. What Oprah is getting at is that that one son encompasses the many. There is only one Son of God, and that is the image of God implanted in all humanity to which we have fallen asleep and from which sleep we must be awakened, and that is how we find ourselves back to the presence of God. Is that clear enough what I'm saying? We are all the one Son of God. The one Son of God is not exclusive of anyone. It is inclusive of everyone. Therefore, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, he is speaking as the representative of the Son of God. He's not speaking of Jesus, a Jew, with a beard, uh, short hair, not long hair, because the Gospels show it's a shame for a man to have long hair back in that. You can find that in First Corinthians. Uh, so he looked very very different, swarthy, almost um, Arabic, Middle Eastern looking, you know, and, uh, it, and, and a carpenter in Nazareth. It's not saying that individual human being is the savior of the world. It's saying that what is embodied in him, the divine nature, the Christ nature, we could call it the Buddha nature, that enlightened nature that sees the true, the true reality of what humans are as the offspring of God, the one son of God. That is what is embodied in Jesus when he says, I am the way, he's saying, when you believe in me, that is, and belief is not um, a head belief, it's not about a set of doctrines or creeds, it, it's not beliefs, it's when you believe in, in the sense of participate in, commit yourself to this reality, become involved in this reality, then you become part of the one Son of God, and it is the one and the many. And that's the, the, the Jesus and the Christ uh, understanding from the New Testament.
Okay, so so if that is true, if we're all one with God, and that and this oneness with God actually means that we can have great inner peace, and we can contain this inner God in our human existence, why are we so resistant to that idea? Well, that's a fascinating question, and it gets into a biblical doctrine that is about one of the most misunderstood on earth, and that's the issue of sin. Because um, when people use the word sin, they usually mean it in the sense of you did something wrong, or, or maybe you went dancing, or <laughs> had a drink, or something. You know, These are silly notions of what sin is. Sin has got nothing to do with that. The word sin means to miss the mark, and it's a term out of archery. It's like you fire at the bullseye, and you veer off a little, and the arrow doesn't quite hit. So it's talking about not being true to who we really are. We are the image and likeness of God. We are the glory of the God, the New Testament says. And Jesus in John 17 talks about us experiencing the same oneness with God as source or father, we could equally say mother, as he experienced the identical oneness. It's not talking about all the churches being one or anything of that kind as it's so often taken to be. If you read it closely, he's saying, I want you to experience the same oneness with the source, God, that I experience, so that the same glory that's manifest in me can be manifest in you. Well, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned, which means they have come short of the glory of God. The arrow has missed the bullseye. So how does that happen? Well, when we're born into the world, we are born as the divine image, but that has to grow and become conscious in us. And in the way the world is structured, there is this thing that is known as original sin. Now, it has got nothing to do with sex. It's got nothing to do with something being wrong in the way we're born. It's talking about a condition in the world in which people don't know who they really are. And from the moment we are born, we are born into that environment and it begins to infect us. We begin to, to take in this disbelief in the fact that we are the divine image. Paul says in the book of Acts, he says, in God, we live and move and have our being. In God, not separate. God is not some reality out there separate from us. We are in the being of God, living and moving and having our own being. In other words, God's nature is our nature. We are participants in the divine nature. But it doesn't become an active reality until we wake up to the fact. So when we're born into the world, from, from the moment we are born, this society conspires to shut us down to who we really are. And we grow up without any awareness of this. And then the awareness begins to break through. We start to realize life isn't fulfilling the way we're experiencing it. There is this void, this emptiness, this longing for something. And we, we may turn first to religion, which may promise it on the outside if you do this, this, and this, you know. But it doesn't work that way. We may try to find it in another person. We may try to find it in a career. But ultimately, we awaken to the fact that the divine reality is our own center. We are the offspring of God who is not far from any one of us. Indeed, is our own center. Or as Paul says in the, in the letter to the Romans, where is the word of God? Where is the, the way to live? He says, you don't have to ascend into heaven to find it. You don't have to go down into the depths of the earth to find it. He says, it is in your heart and in your mouth right now. In other words, when you start being spontaneously who you really are, and not what society has made you, then you come alive. Now, of course, that's where my book, um, the uh, audio book, um, 
lessons in loving a journey into the heart comes in because the little prince grows up. Uh, I mean, the little prince comes to this planet and meets this airman who has grown up, and this airman loved to draw, but people shut down his ability to draw. And when he crashes in the Sahara Desert in his airplane and he meets the little prince, he goes on a journey in the desert of beginning to open up to his true self and to come alive to who he was as a child. Adults have lost that. This is why Jesus says, unless you be converted and become as a little child. Conversion isn't a tent meeting. It's not accepting Jesus into your heart. Conversion is getting your eyes open to, to realize that what Christ symbolizes, what Jesus symbolizes, is your own reality. And Jesus says, let the little children come to me, for of such is the kingdom of God. It's their natural state. Okay. Beautifully said. Thank you so much. This is Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews, and you've been listening to a conversation with David Ord on the topic of your forgotten self. And we'll be back in just a moment to talk. Listening on a Higher Dimension. Seventh Wave Network. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology. A-I-H-T. It was a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earned my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. Are you in need of a cosmic kick? Are you frustrated with your ability to move forward in all areas of your life and spiritual growth? Adrian Wentworth is a master at getting you unstuck. A fearless and grounded healer and teacher, Adrian covers subjects that few will touch and reveals the missing keys to your success. Be uplifted by the healing energies that flow through her as she shares her profound wisdom and helps you shift past your obstacles to create the life you long for. Listen to Cosmic Kick with Adrian Wentworth every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the seventh wave network what's this milk low fat no fat they're milk too and their names rhyme this man may sound odd low fat no fat but to his three-year-old daughter helping him pick out food he makes perfect sense here's cheese with holes in it learning starts long before school does and children are naturally curious take simple moments like shopping and turn them into learning moments it's called swiss swiss has holes that's right can you say gorgonzola Turn everyday moments into learning moments. Visit bornlearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Be extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network.
You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Okay, we're back with Authentic Living. I'm Andrea Matthews, your host, and we're continuing our conversation with David Ord on the topic of your forgotten self. (coughs) David, you've been very helpful in helping us understand how it is that we have an internal Christ archetype or the Buddha (coughs) nature or what I call the authentic self. There, was there a time in your life when it changed from the traditional mindset or conventional version of Jesus to something more like what you're talking about today? Yes, in fact, a very slow evolution in that direction. Um, I grew up in the Church of England, sang in the choir in Harrogate in Yorkshire in England, and uh, my father sang in the choir. In fact, he died singing in the choir one night, and um, my brother sang in it. And then when I hit about age 11 or 12, uh, our Sunday school, which was part of the Church of England, went to hear Billy Graham at Main Road Soccer Stadium in Manchester. Manchester. And I went forward and made a decision for Christ. So in my teens, I got very deeply into um, very fundamentalist religion and then other forms of it eventually. But somewhere along about my mid to late 20s, I began to see things in the Bible that didn't quite stack up with the way I'd been told it was supposed to be. Let me give you an example, and actually I have this one in the book, Your Forgotten Self. But uh, the the woman at the well in in the uh, fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. She, she meets Jesus, and um, they get into a conversation about water at the well, and Jesus said, well, if you really knew who is talking to you, you'd be asking water from me, and I would giving, give you living water, and you would never be thirsty again. Now, I was told, in fact, we used to sing this song, what, never thirst again? No, never thirst again. You know, as Christians in our teens, we'd sing this song, except we were all darn thirsty. We were longing for fulfillment and meaning, and none of the stuff that was supposed to put this peace and joy and love in our lives was actually doing it. In fact, I think it was the, either the Sunday Times or the Telegraph years and years ago in England said, if Christians have so much joy, they need to tell their faces about it. Because so much of Christianity is known for what it's against and its restrictions and all of that kind of thing, and that's not what we see in Jesus. We see someone who is so full of joy that the regular people are drawn to him. I mean, the people who drank a lot, the people who were prostitutes, all of this, they found him terrific to be around. They loved his company because unlike John the Baptist, who was like typical religious people, Jesus loved to dance when the pipes played. He would have a drink with them. He enjoyed and loved people. So... It wasn't working for me. Oh, and then I got divorced, and that wasn't supposed to happen. I didn't believe in divorce and so forth. Everything that I was told should happen didn't happen. And I started to realize something is wrong with this picture. When I got into reading the Gospels at a deeper level, I began to see that they paint a very, very different picture of Jesus and of who we are and what life is all about. And it's right there in that story of the woman at the well. 
because he says to her, you will never thirst again. And a couple of chapters further on in John 7, he says, there will be in you, in your innermost being, rivers of living water flowing out from you. So in church and in Sunday school and Bible classes and all of that, I was constantly going back to a new meeting all the time because I was thirsting and hungering for for truth. And it wasn't satisfying me. But Jesus says, this is a reality that once you've entered into it, you will, you will never need to go get topped up again because it will just be a river flowing out from you. So you talk about a life turned upside down. It took everything I believed and turned it on its head. I began to see original sin not as something wrong with me. Original sin is that condition of the world that tells us there's something wrong with us. So we begin to believe it. And everything like that is reversed. I began to understand the whole teaching on heaven and hell differently. The heaven is a reality we can enter into and begin living that resurrection life, eternal life. Now, Jesus doesn't say I will be the resurrection in the future only. He says, I am the resurrection. You can enjoy that life now. And, of course, people think that hell is this ever-burning fire. Well, sometimes someone should read Jude 7, where it talks about the people of Sodom and Gomorrah suffering the vengeance of eternal fire, and then they ought to read what Jesus says in Matthew, or probably around chapters 10 through 12, where he talks about the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and Tyre and Sidon and the Queen of the South being resurrected to, to judgment and finding tolerance. And then over in Ezekiel 16, in the final verses of, of that chapter, where it talks about the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and Israel and so forth being restored to their form state. So whatever this hellfire is, it's really very different from people imagine, because this is something which people get resurrected out of. And in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says there is a foundation that has been laid that no one else can lay, and that foundation is the Christ reality epitomized in Jesus that is laid in every one of us. And then in our lifetime, we build on it, and we're either going to build out a straw and stubble and hay, which will be burned up by the trials of life, or we're going to build silver and gold and precious stones, which, of course, fire doesn't touch. So what it's talking about is, by one means or another, our old self that we have learned to be in the world, in which we we wear the mask, we are this fake person that everyone wants us to be, that betrays who we really are, that old self has got to die. And Jesus said that. We have to die in order to come alive to who we are. If we lose who we think we are, we will find out who we really are. That's the death that is Gehenna fire. And it can be extremely painful, which, you know, the book, uh, the audiobook Lessons in Loving, where I describe the journey through the desert after he crash lands, it's an incredibly painful thing of which he comes to, to death's door. And that's the experience we'll all have to go through of hell in order to come out of it, be raised up with Christ into the experience of heaven that is this joyous, loving experience of consciousness now. So then, you know, I'm real aware that in the traditional Christian model, we tend to think of what I call a bargain. It's like, if I, then God. If I do this, then God will do that. If I ask Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Lord and Savior, then God will keep me from the fires of hell. This bargaining is a part of that first nature that you're talking about, what I call the duality nature, where we're really thinking of ourselves as 
separate from God and not a part of the oneness of God. Can you say Abs- more about that? Absolutely. I'm thinking of a sign in the greater New Orleans area where I lived for some 20 years. And um, along the highway, there is a sign and there is a picture of uh, someone who's supposed to be Jesus. He's actually nothing like Jesus because he didn't look like that. He looks more like someone hippie. Uh, but, but he's on the sign and it says, um, it says, um, Oh, what is the, the words that they've got? Consider your ways. Consider your ways. And he's got this angry look on his face. And I say to myself when I drive past that, you know what that is? That is a projection of some son onto his a- a- angry father. In other words, so many of us have grown up with distant dads, angry dads, who were the ones who were the disciplinarians. We got it in the neck from them. And that is the picture we project onto God. And that is what some in unenlightened parts of the Bible also project onto God. It's a mistake to think that the whole of the Bible is enlightened. It may be inspired. That means it's a true record of the way people conceived of things and their understanding at a certain time in history. But not everything in the Bible is, 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 is conscious. Just look at the book of Job, for example, where Job's three, three friends give him all kinds of reasons. Well, the reason this has happened to you, Job, is because you must have done such and such. And Job says, no, I have not. I maintain my righteousness. I have not done that. And of course, when God does finally speak to them, God says, you all have got it wrong. So there are many aspects of the Bible where you will find this kind of bargaining idea with God. And what that is, and you'll, and you'll get a picture of an angry God there, too. And that is people's limited understanding of God. They project onto God their angry father. And so they, they, need, they feel they need to strike a bargain. What we've really got is it's like some sort of magician in the sky. You know, if we get the formula right, it's like... I was in Vegas the other day visiting a friend for a birthday and walked through the casino, which is not my cup of tea, but it's like if you pull the, the handle right and the, the numbers come up right, then such and such will happen. That's how we, re, we treat God. We're talking about that energy, that consciousness, that awareness, that presence, that um, personhood that has birthed a hundred billion galaxies. Do we honestly think there is some being up there taking note of every little thing we do? No. That reality is expressed in us and as us. God is coming through in us, seeking to awaken us to that as our true nature. And this bargaining stuff we do comes out of that old mentality of the days when people saw lightning bolts and floods and all of that as the finger of God punishing them. And the old idea of the sacrifice. The sacrifice was the same thing. Right. Of course. God needs to be appeased. There is no God who needs to be appeased. That is a human projection onto God by those people in Scripture and elsewhere who did not yet have the full picture. And we need to remember that even the Apostle Paul, far more advanced than some of those people who wrote about that angry God of lightning bolts, even he says, I see through a glass darkly, but I'm seeing more and more clearly all the time. In other words, there is a growing light, but we don't have it all in those early writings. Right, and he also says there will come a time when we see in the mirror. Face to face. Right, face to face. 
There's a wonderful image, actually, now I think about it. I think it's in 2 Corinthians 3, and verses 17 and 18. Yes, it is, I think. Um, and, and it says there that we all, and it's contrasting the new reality of Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, that we are into into. He's a symbol. He's the archetype. He's the epitome of who we really are, if we but knew it, if our own Christ nature came alive. He's contrasting that with Moses and the law, Ten Commandments and all that kind of thing. Well, we'll have to come back to that. Yes, absolutely. This is Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews, and you've been listening to a conversation with David Ord on the topic of your forgotten self, and we'll be back in just a moment. Talk some more. The new home for visionary positive change. Seventh Wave Network. When I found out my jeans were made using child labor in sweatshops, I wrote a letter to the company saying, reconsider your labor practices. A few months later, I get a letter back saying, thanks for being a loyal customer, and they included a coupon for a 25% discount on their jeans. So I got smart, wrote letters every day to all the stores that carry the brand, asking them to stop supporting the companies who use child labor in sweatshops. And I just kept getting letters back thanking me for my concerns and more coupons for more discounts on more jeans. So I'm telling my friend about it, and she flips out, saying that between all the letters and coupons, some paper company cut down a small forest, driving off two indigenous tribes, hundreds of endangered animals, killing thousands of plant species, some of which may have contained vaccines for HIV, cancer, and syphilis. Meanwhile, the guys cutting down the trees are 13-year-old kids who will work night and day for months just to save up enough money to buy a pair of jeans made by child labor in sweatshops. Saving the world isn't easy, but saving a life is. Just one pint of blood can save up to three lives. Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council. Do you ever feel that you would love to have your very own all-knowing guide on tap 24-7? Well, you can. It's called your intuition. Learn how to trust your inner voice. Come and explore with Natasha Rosewood the power of your intuition and how you can use it now to bring more success and joy to your world. Join Natasha on her radio show, Ah, I Think I'm Psychic, and you can be too. Every Tuesday live at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the 7th Wave Network. Anything is possible. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. 
taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back with Authentic Living. I'm Andrea Matthews, your host, and we're continuing our conversation with David Ord on (coughs) Your Forgotten Self. David, uh, just before the break, we were talking a little bit about the image that Paul gave us in 1 Corinthians 13 of the mirror, which he saw dimly, and then a time when we would come to a time when we would be able to see clearly. Can you talk some about that? Yes, you know, in Second Corinthians 3, verses 17 through 18, he, he uses the same image of a mirror, and he's contrasting Moses and living under that reality of the Ten Commandments. And it's always amazing to me when I hear so many of the fundamentalist churches really touting the importance of the Ten Commandments, when the entire book of Galatians and Second Corinthians 3 and many other New Testament passages show we've got to let that all go, because it's nothing but bondage. It doesn't produce love. You can keep every one of the Ten Commandments and you will not necessarily do a single loving thing. It's just how not to break certain things. So um, it's not about love, joy, peace, patience, the fruit of the Spirit, and so forth. And as Paul says, you don't need any law once you have all that flowing in you. So this is what he's saying in this mirror image. He says that if we look into a mirror and we will behold the Spirit, which is Christ, and we will see it in our own face. In other words, if you really take a look at that passage in 2 Corinthians 3, he's saying if you really get a mirror image of who you are, you will see the Christ Spirit in you. And to the degree that you see it, you will be it. And you will be changed from glory into glory. Now, what has blinded us is this thing of sin that is not seeing who we are, which we've been taught. From the moment I was born, I was taught, who do you think you are? What are you doing saying that? You don't have a right to be opinion. You be quiet. And I, I was put down so that I didn't know who I was. And this is saying if we really take a good look at ourselves, we will begin to see that the glory of God is who we are because we are the divine likeness and image. And it's a tremendously transformative thing. Now, when that happens in us as individuals, and when it then happens in a larger scale and eventually globally, that is what is known as the experience of the second coming. This is made so clear if you compare the Gospel of John with Mark, Matthew, and Luke. Mark, Matthew, and Luke were written in that order. Mark beginning around 70, and um, Matthew maybe around 73, 76, Luke maybe into the 80s. But John comes around the mid-90s. And in in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21, you have what's called the, the apocalyptic passages, which talk about the second coming. But if you look at the Gospel of John, those are absent altogether. 
because the light has dawned on them more, and they've begun to see this not as a literal happening, but as something that is happening in the lives and hearts of human beings. So John, in chapter 14, Jesus says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. Now, the place he's preparing is those heavenly places that we experience now. Uh, Ephesians 1, 3, Ephesians uh, 2, uh, 1 through 6 say that we are living in those heavenly places right now. In other words, it's preparing for us to be able to live a full, filling, and meaningful life now. And he says, if I go, I will come again. And then he says, I will send you another comforter. And if you read that 14th chapter of John very carefully, what he's saying is the second coming isn't me as an individual. It is me in the universalized form of the spiritual presence. So that is the second coming. And when that happens globally, it brings about a new heaven and new earth. But the point of 2 Corinthians 5 is we can live in that new heaven and that new earth where all things have become old and everything has become new now. Right. So heaven within us is that sense of ourselves as God. Yes. Absolutely. And that's a very frightening thought to people. At the same time, it's a very peaceful thought. We all long for that, and yet at the same time, we're, we sort of think of that as blasphemy. You know, it's what Paul says, God is to be all in all, or everything to everyone. That's where the whole thing is going. The divine will be fully expressed, the divine presence fully expressed and incarnated in every single human being who has ever lived one day. It's a plan that Paul says covers the ages of the ages, and it encompasses all. And in the end, even death is cast into the lake of fire. It's the second death, the death of death itself. There will be no state of death. All are raised up so that God is fully alive in all human beings. It's an incredible thing. Full consciousness throughout the cosmos. Right. And because we think of ourselves as basically evil people at the core level of us, we must be inherently evil, we have to bargain with God instead of just knowing that we are God. That's right, and of course it is, you put it exactly right, it's how we think of ourselves, it's what we've been told. Do you remember the first thing uh, that goes wrong in Genesis 2, When, when they're hiding now in shame instead of out in the broad light of the day, instead of enjoying who they are, they're afraid, fear has entered instead of love, what does God say? Who told you that you were naked? That's the lie of the original sin. We've been told something's wrong with us. We've been told there's something shameful about us, and we ought to cover up who we are and put on this pretense that everyone else is. That's the original sin, what we've learned to believe about ourselves. And consequently, salvation, which means becoming whole, becoming empowered, becoming who we really are as partakers of the divine nature, as Second Peter 1 4 says, that is the experience of enlightenment, of our eyes uh, that have been blinded, uh, being opened throughout the New Testament. It's all about light as opposed to darkness. In other words, we start to see who we really have been all along for the very first time. This book is, is just so amazing, Your Forgotten Self, Mirrored in Jesus the Christ. I hope everyone of our listeners will be able to read it. Can you tell our readers how they can learn more about you and about how they can purchase this beautiful book? 
Well, uh, Your Forgotten Self, Mirrored in Jesus the Christ from Namaste Publishing, is available in any bookstore. Uh, you may need to order it through them, but they can get it in within a matter of days. Uh, you can order it online from Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, and so forth. You can order it from uh, NamastePublishing.com. At NamastePublishing.com, you can also get my uh, audiobook, which parallels this one from the story of the Little Prince, uh, Lessons in Loving a Journey into the Heart. And also there is a daily blog, which most of the time I write at Namaste Publishing, and I share a lot of these ideas about Jesus in that blog. It's called The Compassionate Eye. You can find it on the homepage at www.namaste, that's N-A-M-A-S-T-E, publishing.com. And there are a lot of other wonderful books there. If you want to know how to live in this life consciously, uh, how, to, how to make choices from a different place, how to, how to come from the knowing of faith rather than from uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is trying to figure out the right way as opposed to the wrong way, but to come from the flow of life. Uh, Constance Kello's book, The Leap, Are You Ready to Live a New Reality, is a wonderful book that I helped edit. Um, Michael Brown's b- books, The Presence Process and Alchemy of the Heart, are fantastic. Of course, all of Eckhart Tolle's work can be found there. And, and other books that are of just tremendous value. A new book we have out now called uh, Conscious Health in a second edition brings this consciousness into the whole aspect of our emotional and physical well-being. And we have a brand new book that will be on the website shortly, um, which is called uh, The Revolutionary Trauma Release Process, about how we can undo much of the pain and trauma that we've gone through in life. That will be out by September 1st, but on the website even before that. We have our first children's book, Mr. Ego and the Bubble of Love. It's for children who are probably, I'm I'm guessing, three through um, eight but uh, parents can show it to them. It's a wonderful uh, picture book in full color with a hard uh, cover and jacket. Mr. Ego and the Bubble of Love is just an exciting one, which, which brings an important aspect of, of um, Eckhart Tolle's teaching uh, to children. And um, it's not Eckhart's book, but it's, it's that kind of idea of what the ego is really about. So there's, there's a wealth of wonderful information at namastepublishing.com. Wonderful. Well, David, I'm so glad that you were able to come and talk with us today. You've been so clear and helpful to our listeners in terms of being able to really distinguish some of the biblical passages and the story of the whole text of the Old and New Testament, how it leads us to ourselves that we've forgotten. So thank you so much for talking with us. It's been a delight to be with you, Andrea. I'm sure your wisdom will impact our listeners. Thank you so much. And you've been listening to Authentic Living, sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. I'm your host, Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, when we'll be talking to Sonia Choquette on the topic of your psychic self. Bye now, and don't forget, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.